Welcome to Bedtime Stories. I'm Lori Mack. Tonight, we are enjoying Black Beauty by Anna Sewell, chapters 40 through 42. Chapter 40, Poor Ginger. One day, while our cab and many others were waiting outside one of the parks where a band was playing, a shabby old cab drove up beside ours. The horse was an old worn-out chestnut with an ill-kept coat and bones that showed plainly through it. The knees knuckled over and the forelegs were very unsteady. I had been eating some hay and the wind rolled a little lock of it that way and the poor creature put out her long, thin neck and picked it up and then turned and looked about for more. There was a hopeless look in the dull eye that I could not help noticing and then, as I was thinking, where had I seen that horse before? She looked full at me and said, Black Beauty, is that you? It was Ginger, but how changed! The beautifully arched and glossy neck was now straight and lank and fallen in. The clean, straight legs and delicate fetlocks were swelled. The joints were grown out of shape with hard work. The face, that was once so full of spirit and life, was now full of suffering and I could tell by the heaving of her sides and her frequent cough how bad her breath was. Our drivers were standing together a little way off, so I sidled up to her a step or two that we might have a little quiet talk. It was a sad tale that she had to tell. After a 12 months runoff at Earlshall, she was considered to be fit for work again and was sold to a gentleman. For a little while she got on very well, but after a longer gallop than usual, the old strain returned, and after being rested and doctored, she was again sold. In this way, she changed hands several times, but always getting lower down. And so at last, she said, I was bought by a man who keeps a number of cabs and horses and lets them out. You look well off, and I am glad of it, but I could not tell you what my life has been. When they found out my weakness, they said I was not worth what they gave for me and that I must go into one of the low cabs and just be used up. That is what they're doing, whipping and working with never one thought of what I suffer. They paid for me and must get it out of me, they say. The man who hires me now pays a a deal of money to the owner every day, and so he has to get that out of me too. And so it's all week, round and round, with never a Sunday rest. I said, you used to stand up for yourself if you were ill-used. Oh, she said, I did once, but it's no use. Men are strongest, and if they are cruel and have no feeling, there is nothing that we can do but just bear it. Bear it on and on to the end. I wish the end was come. I wish I was dead. I have seen dead horses, and I am sure they do not suffer pain. I wish I may drop down dead at my work and not be sent off to the knackers. I was very much troubled, and I put my nose up to hers, but I could say nothing to comfort her. I think she was pleased to see me, for she said, You are the only friend I ever had. And just then her driver came up, and with a tug at her mouth, backed her out of the line and drove off, leaving me very sad indeed. A short time after this, a cart with a dead horse in it passed our cab stand. The head hung out of the cart tail, the lifeless tongue was slowly dropping with blood, and the sunken eyes, but 
I can't speak of them. The sight was too dreadful. It was a chestnut horse with a long, thin neck. I saw a white streak down the forehead. I believe it was Ginger. I hoped it was, for then her troubles would be over. Oh, if men were more merciful, they would just shoot us before we came to such misery. Chapter 41. The Butcher I saw a great deal of trouble amongst the horses in London, and much of it that might have been prevented by a little common sense. We horses do not mind hard work if we are treated reasonably, and I'm sure there are many driven by quite poor men who have a happier life than I had when I used to go in the Countess of W.'s carriage with my silver-mounted harness and high feeding. It often went to my heart to see how the little ponies were used, straining along with heavy loads or staggering under heavy blows from some low, cruel boy. Once I saw a little gray pony with a thick mane and a pretty head and so much like Mary Legs that if I had not been in the harness, I should have neighed to him. He was doing his best to pull a heavy cart while a strong, rough boy was cutting him under the belly with his whip and chucking cruelly at his little mouth. Could it be Merrylegs? It was just like him, but then Mr. Blomfield was never to sell him. I think he wouldn't do it, but this might have been quite as good a little fellow and had as happy a place when he was young. I often noticed the great speed at which butchers' horses were made to go, though I did not know why it was so until one day when we had to wait some time in St. John's Wood. There was a butcher's shop next door, and as we were standing, a butcher's cart came dashing up at great pace. The horse was hot and much exhausted, and he hung his head down, while his heaving sides and trembling legs showed how hard he had been driven. The lad jumped out of the cart and was getting the basket when the master came out of the shop much displeased. After looking at the horse, he turned angrily to the lad. How many times shall I tell you not to drive in this way? You ruined that last horse and broke his wind, and you're going to ruin this one in the same way. If you were not my own son, I would dismiss you on the spot. It is a disgrace to have a horse brought to the shop in a condition like that. You are liable to be taken up by the police for such driving, and if you are, you need not look to me for bail, for I have spoken to you until I am tired. You must look out for yourself." During this speech, the boy had stood by, sullen and dogged, but when his father ceased, he broke out angrily. It wasn't his fault, and he wouldn't take the blame. He was only going by orders all the time. You always say, now be quick, now look sharp, and when I go to the houses, one wants a leg of mutton for an early dinner, and I must be back with it in a quarter of an hour. Another cook had forgotten to order the beef. I must go and fetch it and be back in no time, or the mistress will scold. And the housekeeper says they have company coming unexpectedly and must have some chops sent up directly. And the lady at number four in the Crescent never orders her dinner until the meat comes in for lunch, and it's nothing but hurry, hurry all the time. If the gentry would think of what they want and order their meat the day before, there need not be this blow-up. Oh, I wish to goodness they would, said the butcher. "'Twould save me a wonderful deal of harass, and I could suit my customers much better if I knew beforehand. But, but there, what's the use of talking? Whoever thinks of a butcher's convenience or a butcher's horse? Now then, take him in and look to him well. 
Mind, if he does not go out again today, and if anything else is wanted, you must carry it yourself in the basket. And with that he went in, and the horse was led away. But all boys are not cruel. I have seen some as fond of their pony or donkey as if it had been a favorite dog, and the little creatures have worked away as cheerfully and willingly for their young drivers as I work for Jerry. It may be hard work sometimes, but a friend's hand and voice make it easy. There was a young coster boy who came up our street with greens and potatoes. He had an old pony, not very handsome, but the cheerfulest and pluckiest little thing I ever saw, and to see how fond those two were of each other was a treat. The pony followed his master like a dog, and when he got into his cart, he would trot off without a whip or a word and rattle down the street as merrily as if he had come out of the queen's stables. Jerry liked the boy and called him Prince Charlie, for he said he would make a king of drivers some day. There was an old man, too, who used to come up our street with a little coal cart. He wore a coal heavener's hat and looked rough and black. He and his old horse used to plod together along the street, like two good partners who understood each other. The horse would stop of his own accord at the doors where they took coal of him. He used to keep one ear bent towards his master. The old man's cry could be heard up the street long before he came near. I never knew what he said, but the children called him Old Barhoo, for it sounded like that. Polly took her coal of him and was very friendly, and Jerry said that it was a comfort to think how happy an old horse might be in a poor place. Chapter 42, The Election As we came into the yard one afternoon, Polly came out. Jerry, I've had Mr. B here asking about your vote and he wants to hire your cab for the election. He will call for an answer. Well, Polly, you may say that my cab will be otherwise engaged. I should not like to have it pasted over with their great bills, and as to making Jack and Captain race about to the public houses to bring up half-drunken voters, why, I think twould be an insult to the horses. No, I shan't do it. I suppose you'll vote for the gentleman? He said he was of your politics. So he is in some things, but I shall not vote for him. Polly, you know what his trade is? Yes. Well, a man who gets rich by that trade may be all very well in some ways, but he's blind as to what working men want. I could not in my conscience send him up to make the laws. I dare say they'll be angry, but every man must do what he thinks to be the best for his country. On the morning before the election, Jerry was putting me into the shafts when Dolly came into the yard sobbing and crying with her little blue frock and white pinafore spattered all over with mud. Why, Dolly, what is the matter? Those naughty boys, she sobbed, have thrown the dirt all over me and called me a little raga. Raga! They called her a little blue ragamuffin, father, said Harry, who ran in looking very angry, but I have given it to them. They won't insult my sister again. I have given them a thrashing they will remember, a set of cowardly, rascally orange blackguards. Jerry kissed the child and said, Run into mother, my pet, and tell her I, th I think you better stay at home today and help her. Then turning gravely to Harry, My boy, 
I hope you will always defend your sister and give anybody who insults her a good thrashing. That is as it should be. But mind, I won't have any election blackguarding on my premises. There are many blue blackguards as there are orange and as many white as there are purple or any other color, and I won't have any of my family mixed up with it. Even women and children are ready to quarrel for the sake of a color, and not one in ten of them knows what it's about. Why, father, I thought blue was for liberty. My boy, liberty does not come from colors. They only show party. And all the liberty you can get out of them is liberty to get drunk at other people's expense. Liberty to ride to the pole in a dirty old cab. Liberty to abuse anyone that does not wear your color. And to shout yourself hoarse at what you only half understand. That's your liberty. Oh, father, you are laughing. No, Harry, I'm serious. And I am ashamed to see how men go on that ought to know better. An election is a very serious thing. Well, at least it ought to be. And every man ought to vote according to his conscience and let his neighbor do the same. That is all for tonight. Come back again for chapters 43 through 45. Thanks for listening. Good night.